John chapter six. John chapter six is where we'll be today. This is our, I think, fifth, uh, fifth week in a, a series that we've been entitled Glimpses of Glory, where we've looked at Jesus's signs in the book of John to get a glimpse of his glory. Um, this is a true story. Uh, a few months ago, when I was uh, praying and planning on what we'd be preaching through through the spring and specifically this series, uh, it was this passage that made me dis- it was this passage months ago that I thought we need to talk through this passage. I need to preach on this passage. And out of that conviction, this whole series came about. Um, so all of that to say is months ago, God knew and God had determined and God had orchestrated that we would be in this specific passage on this specific Sunday in our certain circumstance. And I think there's some things he wants to say to us today that he's been waiting to say to us for weeks now. So let's stand together. John chapter six, starting in verse 16. Now, this story takes place right in the middle of Tim's story last week. Last week, Tim walked us through the story of Jesus on the mountain and he fed thousands of people with bread. And then a little bit later, he had a long conversation with them. This takes place between that. Jesus feeds people. They walk across the water and then he has a conversation with them on the other side. So this is how they get to the other side. Verse 16, when the evening came, his disciples went down to the lake got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. It was now dark and Jesus had still not come back to them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then they were going to take him into the, then they were glad to take him into the boat and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. Thank you for your word, Father. We need you to speak to us. Open our, open our minds, open our ears, open our hearts. We need your word. It's by your word that you comfort. It's by your word that you transform us. It's by your word that you, you direct us. It's by your word that you clean us. We need your word today. So speak to us. Amen. You can have a seat. One of the things that drew me to this passage was that Jesus uses a storm as the stage in which he would show us something about himself. And I don't think it's a coincidence that Jesus uses a storm as a stage um, to show us something about himself. I, I actually think Jesus used this storm to show us something about ourselves because he knew that his disciples would have, go through various storms in their life. So Jesus, he uses this storm situation, knowing that his disciples would go through their own storms in life. And he says, I'm going to use this storm to show you who I am so that when you're in a storm, you know who I am in a storm. So what I want to do today, I want to get a glimpse of glory in the storm. Who, who does Jesus show us he is in the storm? Um, as we walk into this text, um, th- this, this past Monday, when I opened up my Bible, uh, to prepare for this sermon, I had one idea of what I thought the sign that John was showing us was. By the time I closed my Bible yesterday and finished preparing this message, I had learned that what I thought was the sign was not the sign. 
but something else that I didn't think was the sign was the sign. So I want to walk you through my thought process throughout this week because we're going to pick up some real good stuff as we walk through this journey and finally land on the sign. Uh, so Monday, when I opened up my Bible, I thought, OK, the sign is clearly in in Jesus's approaching the disciples. The sign is in Jesus's approach. So you've got these disciples there three miles in on probably a seven mile journey across this uh, this 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 lake. And, and as soon as they get about three miles in a little bit less than halfway, it says the day turns into dark. The, the, the calm breeze turns into rough winds, and now they find themselves in the middle of a storm. And it's in the middle of this storm that they look at out, out as they're trying to row, and they see something coming at them. Now, John, it's in hindsight that he's writing this to us and, telling, and tells us that it's Jesus coming at him. So John says, it's dark, it's stormy, and Jesus is walking on the waters in the middle of a storm. For that to make sense, you've got to go through a long history lesson. Rewind way back to almost the beginning of civilization. And ancient Near Eastern cultures and religions and people all had a a, a version of a creation story. And their story, in summary, was in the beginning, there, there was a dark, stormy, formless sea. And the earth as we know it was a product between a storm god and this sea god. And it said this, this sea god represents chaos. He represents that which is disordered, represents that which isn't right, represents the brokenness in the world. And so for an indefinite amount of time, this storm god and this sea god are duking it out until finally this storm god can constrain the uh, sea god just enough to call it a win. And then, boom, the earth as we know it was produced out of that. But they thought this sea god was just barely subdued and he could break out and cover the earth in chaos at any moment. So this is the story going around. And it's while this story is being passed around the world that Moses pulls out his tablet and says, actually, in the beginning, it was God who created the heavens and the earth. Just like those stories, yes, the earth was covered in this chaotic sea. It was dark and it was stormy. But unlike those other gods, our God did not struggle with this sea. He says, yeah, yeah, yeah. Y'all think the storm God might have had a hard time with this sea, but the spirit of our God was just hovering over the sea, superintending the sea. He says, yeah, yeah. I know those other gods might have had a struggle with the sea. I know those other gods might have had a struggle with the chaos, but our God merely spoke to the sea and said, I want you to separate from top to bottom. And I want you to all be contained in one place. Uh, Moses, he's not giving us a scientific lesson when he gives us Genesis 1. What he's doing in Genesis 1 is giving us a theological truth that our God easily subdued the sea that others struggled with. And then Job, uh, sometimes later, he catches on to this trend and he says, our God alone marches over the seas. Our God alone triumphs over the waters. Our God alone is victorious over the chaos. So this has to be in John's mind. As he's in this, as he's on this dark, stormy sea that looks a lot like the one in the beginning. And he sees Jesus walking at him. 
it has to be going through John's mind that maybe Jesus is this God who subdues what others struggle with. Maybe that's what John showed us. So so I asked y'all a few months ago to pray for me because I'm trying to find new hobbies and um, it still hasn't happened. You need to pray harder, please. Um, so this is going to be my second sermon telling you a basketball story. Uh, the moment I get a new set of interests when my illustrations will change. But um, back to back um, this past summer when my wife and I were watching the NBA finals, every time I watched LeBron play, I found myself yelling, it's too easy. I'd see the other nine guys on the court struggle to do stuff and LeBron would do it effortlessly. And I'd yell, it's too easy. One guy would get a rebound on the basket and he'd take seven or eight dribbles to make it through the five other players and lay it up. While LeBron, he gets the rebound over here and it takes three dribbles, three strides to make it from one end of the court to the other. It's way too easy. There are things that other players exerted all of their effort trying to do. And maybe would never do. But LeBron did it effortlessly. It was way too easy. I think what John's trying to show us when he lets us know that Jesus was walking on these waters is that when it comes to Jesus, it's too easy. There are things that others, other gods, us, other things can exert all of their energy trying to accomplish and they may never do it. But Jesus does it effortlessly. When chaos breaks breaks out. You might struggle to bring things back into order, but it's too easy for Jesus. When, when things just aren't right in your life, you might spend all of your money and all of your knowledge and all of your energy trying to plan your way to set things back in order, but it's too easy for Jesus. When brokenness becomes real apparent around you, you can scramble all you want to redeem things, but it's way too easy for Jesus. It's way too easy for Jesus. So I thought maybe just maybe the sign that John's trying to show us is in Jesus is approaching them on the water and telling us that it's too easy for Jesus to do things that others struggle with. But then I kept reading and then I kept praying and it became real apparent. Nope, that's not the sign. So then I moved on and I thought, well, maybe the sign is in the way Jesus addresses the disciples. Maybe that's the sign in, in how Jesus addresses the dudes. So, so they're on this water and, and, and Matthew in Matthew 14, he tells us when they see Jesus, they think they saw a ghost. So they're in the middle of the ocean in the middle of a storm and they think they see a ghost coming at them. So they're frightened. And Jesus says, it is I. Uh, I'm going to nerd out on you for a second that. In the Greek, that phrase, it is I in your Bible. In the Greek, it is ego me, E-G-O space E-I-M-I. Uh, it's the same phrase Jesus says when he says, ego me, the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Uh, ego me, the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Ego me, the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. Ego me means I am. So these dudes are afraid and Jesus address, he identifies himself and he just says, I am. Does that sound familiar? So, 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 so Exodus chapter three, while Moses is minding his business and he's minding his uh, father-in-law's sheep and he sees a bush burning, but it's not being burnt up. And he, this bush starts talking to him and then he has a conversation with this bush and realizes this bush is the creator of God. And he says, what's your name? 
And he says, I am. The, 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 the Greek Bible that was floating around in Jesus' time, Exodus 3.14, Ego Ami is my name. So these disciples are afraid, and Jesus identifies himself by proclaiming God's first name. He says, I know you're scared, but I am, as if to say, hey, this is God coming close. And then he says, don't be afraid. This is what God has always done. He's always addressed his people's fear by saying, hey, I'm here. Joshua 1.9, hey, have I not commanded you? Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed, for I will be with you. Isaiah 41, don't be afraid. I'll be with you. So maybe John's trying to show us in Jesus's address that Jesus is God who pushes out fear by pronouncing his presence. I want you to imagine a, a kiddie pool, if you will, full of water. And this great big old person steps in and sits down into that kiddie pool. And as that person inserts themselves into the pool, that water starts to flow out and rush out. Let's put some labels on this. That kiddie pool is your life. That that water is the fear in your life. That great big old person is our great big old God. And as our great big old God comes close and inserts himself into our life, fear flees. Uh, pushes out present uh, fear by pronouncing his presence. You remember that story in um, Numbers 13, where Moses has the crew right on the edge of Canaan. And they send some spies in. And they knew it was going to be a challenge because they knew that people lived in Canaan already. So those spies go in and they look around and they peek around at cities. And they come back and they say, man, those were some tall people. They had some tall walls. They got a lot of strength going for them. Look, I don't care what Moses says. People die messing with people like that. So all of y'all ought to be afraid. And it says that the people spent the rest of the night weeping in fear. And then God comes up to Moses and he says, how long are these people going to despise me? How long are these people going to disregard me? How long are these people going to act like I'm not a factor? They weren't wrong in admitting that the people in Canaan were big. What they were wrong in is who they compared the people in Canaan with. They said the people in Canaan are huge and we look like grasshoppers. Therefore, we ought to be afraid. You know what they should have done? They should have said, yeah, those are the big people in Canaan, but we got a big old God who we saw just take down a nation. We just saw our God split seas. We saw him win battles for us. They're big, but our God's bigger. We're not just afraid of nothing. We find freedom from fear when we look at what's ahead of us and compare it to the God who's beside us. Yeah, yeah, that thing ahead of you might be a legitimate threat. That situation ahead of you might be a legitimate problem. But listen to me, Christian, your God beside you is a legitimate God. He legitimately can make highways out of oceans. He can legitimately make water come out of a rock. He can legitimately work all things out together for his good. He legitimately made uh, everything out of nothing. Your God's legitimate. That thing in front of me might be big, but my God is beside me and he is for me and there's nothing he can't do. So just like David, I say, even though I walk through the deepest, darkest valleys, guess what I'm not doing? Fearing evil. Why? Because my God's with me. Yahweh's with me. I am is with me. 
So I thought, man, that's a real good sign, Jesus. That's a real good one. That, that's the sign, right? That By then, this is Wednesday. That's the sign, right, God? Now, keep reading, Jerron. Keep praying, Jerron. So I thought, well, if that's not the sign, we only got one verse left, verse 21. And so maybe the sign is in Jesus' action. Maybe it's in Jesus' act. So they're afraid, and Jesus says, hey, go with me, don't be afraid. I am, don't be afraid. And and I'm assuming it's Bartholomew because he gets no love, so we'll give him love in this story. Bartholomew says, it's Jesus. And then Judas, not the bad Judas, but the other Judas that no one knows actually existed. The, the other Judas was like, somebody open the door. So they open the door for Jesus. And John says, as soon as Jesus stepped into our boat, we were on shore. Come here. Matthew 14, Mark chapter 6. Matthew tells it from his perspective. Mark tells it from Peter's perspective. Both of them tell this story. And both of them say when Jesus got in the boat, the storm stopped. They say nothing about the disciples making it to the shore. John tells this story from his perspective. And he doesn't tell us that Jesus got in the boat and the storm stopped. He tells us Jesus got in the boat and we made it through the storm. Maybe John is intentionally wording it this way to tell us you are going to go through some stuff, but Jesus is going to get you through. There's this uh, disciple, there's this uh, professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. He juxtaposes, he nuances this and juxtaposes Jesus's work with the work of the disciples. He said for the disciples to have made it about three miles, they had to have been struggling for hours and barely made it halfway. Jesus gets in the boat and they make it all the way in an instant. They, they, they tried for this indefinite amount of time, but Jesus got it done immediately. Psalm 107 tells this story, tells this story, this act of God where it talks about the redeemed of the Lord saying so. And in verse 23, and I think down to verse 31, it talks about these people of God who are out in the ocean and they're in the middle of a storm and they cried out for help. And it says, immediately God got them to their desired harbor. Immediately God got them to their desired destination. So John is here in this storm. Jesus gets in the boat and they're like, oh, we're on the land. John has to think this man, Jesus, just performed an act of God by immediately getting us to our desired destination, as according to Psalm 107. So maybe what John is telling us is that Jesus is God who gets us to our desired destination. Um, I grew up watching the UPS commercials. What can Brown do for you? One of my favorite commercials, they had the guy walk up on the whiteboard and he he said, well, if you're in America and you want a package to get down to, to France, you want, it to, you, you want it to get to France, we can deliver it into Europe, through Germany, uh, and right on to Paris whenever you want it. What can Brown do for you? We can deliver your packages wherever you want them to go. Here's a rhetorical question, church. What can Jesus do for you? Here's the obvious answer. The Father has a de- desired destination for you and he can deliver you there. He can get you there. He can get you through anything and get you to where the Father wants you. 
There are at least four things that I thought of this week that uh, Jesus can deliver us to. One, he can deliver us to salvation. First Timothy 2, 4, the Father desires all be saved. John chapter 3, Jesus came to save the world. He can deliver you to the place of salvation. He can deliver you to the place of sanctifi- sanctification. Uh, God in multiple scriptures says, be holy as I am holy. Ephesians 5, Jesus died so that we can be holy and he's transforming us from de- one degree of glory to the next. He can get us to a place of sanctification. He can get you to God's plans for you. Jeremiah 29, I know the plans I have for you. That That's for a specific people at a specific time, but that's God's posture for all of his people in all times. And Jesus is our good shepherd who leads us. Jesus says, I build my church. My church will be what the father has planned for my church to be. You will become and do what my father has planned for you to become and do. He can deliver us to eternity. John 14, Jesus says, my father has many rooms where you can spend eternity with him. A few verses later, he says, I'm coming back to get you and I'm taking you there. The Father has desired destinations for us, and Jesus can deliver us to those places. So, so what do we do? We just open ourselves up. They said Jesus, they, they, they opened the door for Jesus. They, they made themselves accessible to Jesus. They allowed Jesus to come in. So what do we do? We open ourselves to Jesus. For some of us, that looks like, like, like believing in him. Open yourself to his lordship. For us, Christ Church, for us Christians, that looks like we pray our way through everything. And prayer is when we open ourselves up to Jesus. If we're not careful, when a problem arises, we could slip into practical atheism. Act like God ain't here. Act like Jesus ain't nowhere to be found. So we stress as if Jesus isn't here. We we argue as if Jesus isn't here. We fall into despair as if Jesus isn't here. But listen, friend, he said, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. So, so, so he's in the boat. We just need to open ourselves up to him. When we pray is... Is, is when we acknowledge that he's here. When we pray is when we open ourselves up to whatever we, we want, he wants to do. When we pray is when he directs us and guides us and leads us and transforms us and corrects us and rebukes us and pushes us. It's in prayer that we open ourselves up and he gets us through. You want to know how I know he's going to get us through. You want to know how I know he's going to deliver us because he already has. Luke chapter 9, Jesus says, The Father has delivered me into the hands of humanity. The Father delivered Jesus to be hung on a cross, and it was on that cross that Jesus delivered us from sin. And on the cross, Jesus delivered us from 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 ourselves. And on the cross, Jesus delivered us from the coercion of Satan. And Jesus delivered us from corrupt world systems. Jesus delivered us from the pits of hell. Jesus delivered us on the cross. One of my favorite songs says, if he did it before, he'll do it again. Same God right now is the same one back then. If he delivered us before, he's going to deliver us again. Christ Church, if he delivered us before, he's going to deliver us again. He's going to get us through this. He's going to get us through this. We're not struggling our way through this. We're not trying to lean on our own effort or our own understanding or strategy or whatever through this. No, no. We are letting him get us through this. 
So we pray our way through.